So I take my glasses off, and I didn't know who you were. I probably couldn't make out your face, especially even the people sitting right down here in the front. Maybe Jeanette, because I'm so familiar with her outline, I could make her out. When I was in high school, I needed glasses. My eyes weren't as bad then as they are now, but I didn't wear my glasses. I had them. I kept them in the car. My driver's license said I needed them, but it wasn't cool to wear glasses, and so I didn't wear them. I could make out the shape of a stop sign, so I knew I could see the red light and the green light. I knew when to stop and when to go. I didn't know what the speed limit sign says, but I, didn't, I wouldn't pay any attention to them back then, even if I could. Uh, but as I got older, I graduated, I went to work, and I was assistant manager at Food Line, and one day uh, something, I don't remember what it was with my eyesight, and it just hit me. You're grown up now, you got responsibilities, you need to go get your eyes checked, and you need to get some glasses. And I was telling the eye doctor how I hated glasses, and he says, oh, why don't you get contacts? They're about the same price. And so I got contacts, and I started wearing them, and I could be cool and see at the same time. So that was pretty good. Now they tell me my hearing's going out. And so you know what comes next, right? Uh, I'm not too far away, so I'm waiting on Medicare to pay for that. But... Um, when you don't see and you don't hear, then your perception can be wrong. You, you, can, you can get messed up. My dad used to tell this story about a family that was sitting around the table. Dad's at the end, kids on the sides, and granddad was there. And dad finished his meal, and he looks at the family, and he says, I've dined sufficient. Grandpa says, you went fishing? He said, no, I said, I've eaten hearty. Grandpa said, oh, you caught 40. He said, no, I said, I've had a plenty. And Grandpa said, you caught 20. And he said, oh, you old fool, you broke your pole. And, you know, obviously Granddad couldn't hear. And when you don't hear, you don't perceive things correctly. Granddad said, well, what I want to know is why didn't I get to go fishing? And, you know, there wasn't even a fishing trip. And when you don't see and you don't perceive, you don't hear, you don't perceive, then you can get off track. Jesus wants us to hear. He wants us to see what God has in store for us. Because God wants to do something in each of our lives. There's a question I want to raise today. As we get into our um, series, we're going back to our brochure again and we've been talking about the engage series which is our three-year plan which is really and truly it's a plan for spiritual growth for our church and to not just grow spiritually inside but to grow outside and reach our community and bring more people in to know Jesus Christ we've been going through the words on this first panel which says to engage Jesus that has to do with spiritual growth we talked about being together, and we've talked about growing. Today we're going to talk a little bit, as Chris said, about multiplying. About multiplying our leaders. About multiplying our, our, our growth. About multiplying the people that come to Central Christian Church. Because we want more and more people to come to know Jesus Christ. And so I raise this question. How do you perceive 
your place in the kingdom of God? I asked that question to a man not too long ago. It's been several years ago now. He had visited the church I was at previously, and I was sitting in his living room talking with him, you know, hoping that he would become a member of our church. And, and I asked him, I said, how do you perceive your place in the kingdom of God? And he said to me, he said, you know, preacher, he said, I'll, I'll probably come to your church a little bit. I like your church. He said, I'll probably uh, listen to your sermons. He said, I'll, I'll pray some. I'll take communion. I might even give a few dollars to your offering. But what I really want is just God to get me to heaven one day and maybe answer some of my prayers along the way. I don't know that I want to be part of any kingdom or anything like that. I just want to really get to heaven one day. He had the wrong perception. He didn't see with his eyes. He didn't hear the words of God and what God wanted for his life. He was off track. Jesus calls us to see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand with our hearts so that we can turn to him and be healed from all that's wrong in our lives. I want you to turn today to Mark chapter 4. It'll be our Bible text, Mark chapter 4. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's uh, written by a man named Mark. Sometimes he's called John Mark in the Bible. He was a traveling companion and, a, and uh, worked alongside the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter uh, to help bring the gospel to many people. In 2 Timothy 4.11, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, he said, come visit me. He, Paul was in prison in Rome. He said, bring some paper with me. I, I need to do some writing. And he said, you know what? Bring John Mark with you too. He's helpful in my ministry. Mark is known for being one who was maybe like a scribe. He, he helped write down things for the apostles. This letter that we have, this gospel of Mark, is probably the, the writings or the teachings of Peter that Mark compiled and put together to help us come to have a picture of Jesus. 91% of what's written in Mark is also written in Matthew, and 53% of what's written in Mark is written in Luke. Now, Luke and Matthew tell some other stories about Jesus. But this one story, this parable we're going to look at today, in Mark chapter 4 is in all four, uh, all three of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we'll begin here at chapter 4, verse 1, and see the teaching of Jesus. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd had gathered around him so large that he got into a boat, and he sat in it, out on the lake, while the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And this teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell upon the rocky places, but they did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns. It grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear again. Some other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, 
some a hundred times. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to sort of get the idea of what Jesus is teaching. Jesus lists four kinds of soil of which it is obvious that only one is favorable for producing crops. Now, Jesus often taught in parables. He loved parables. Some say, what's a parable? It is a story with a spiritual point to it. So we know as Jesus is teaching, he wants to make some kind of a spiritual point. There are about 40 parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, everyone present would have known Jesus was trying to teach him something with this story that he told. It says there that he sat down in the boat. It was common for teachers of that day to sit down when they taught. Now, they would stand up if they were reading a long page, a long uh, portion of Scripture, but when they taught, they sit down. I like the way Jesus starts this parable he gives a, a word. It's in the emphatic tense. He says, listen. It's an exclamation point behind it. He's, want, he's wanting to get their attention. He's wanting them to hear what he's got to say to this crowd. Uh, Jesus has a powerful teaching here, but it somewhat seems lacking as we read it. What, what is the spiritual point that he's trying to make? He talks about this field. You know, if you went to a field in that day, there were probably a path leading up to it. The soil would be packed down where the path was, where people had walked over it. Seed would grow there. Uh, there would be uh, some places where there was rocky soil where they had cleared the rocks out of the field and thrown them off to the side. Maybe the edge up at the top of the field would, would still have thorns and and various weeds and things growing so stuff wouldn't grow there. And then there was the good soil in the field. When you scattered the seed, if you got close to the edge, some would land on the path and some in the rocky places and some in the thorny places. And that seed really wouldn't grow very well. So you, you, you start to think about this and, and you realize that Jesus is trying to tell the people he wants them to be good soil. So it was. So what if I'm good dirt? What does, that, what does that mean? Jesus really doesn't say any further to the crowd. He left them to ponder and to think about it. We go on and we read verse 9, and Jesus, then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now to us, we say, okay, what does that mean? To them, who were mostly Jewish people in the first century, they would have known clearly that Jesus was referring to Isaiah chapter 6. Notice Jesus says, He who has ears. Well, duh, Jesus, can't you see we all have ears? Yeah, but everybody that has ears doesn't listen. Some of them not of their own fault because they haven't bought their hearing aids yet. They can't hear. But most people in that day, they could hear. They just wouldn't hear. And Jesus is trying to call their attention again. Listen, 
I've got something to say. It's something important. You better listen. You better listen deep. You better listen with your heart and let this word get down inside of you. Later when they were with the disciples, it says, the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, it says there were others there. Luke tells us that there was a crowd of women. They traveled with them, some relatives to the apostles that helped take care of the food and, and take care of the apostles as they traveled around and did ministry. And then Jesus says this, the secret of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to those on the outside. What does that mean? Why can't the ones on the outside get it? Well, they can. The question is, will they? It's given to the apostles because they're hungry. They want to know what Jesus is talking about. They're seeking it out. They've been following him. They've given up their lives and their jobs to follow Jesus. And what Jesus is saying that a true believer will really get it. A true follower of Jesus, well, he's going to get what the Word's saying. But those that are on the fringe, those that are on the outside, not so much. They won't get it. You know, Jesus quotes here from this, this passage of Scripture in Isaiah <coughs> chapter 6. And if we go back to, to that, it was a well-known passage. Uh, probably most Jewish people had that passage memorized. It was a rebuke by God that he gave through Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9, he says, Go and tell this people, and he quotes what Jesus said, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Those people need something. They need spiritual glasses. They need spiritual hearing aids. So they'll get what God wants them to hear, what God wants them to see. Then he uses a little Hebrew sarcasm, which was a way that the Hebrews communicated sometimes. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Is that really what God wants? Is their hearts to be callous and their eyes closed? No. God's just saying, look, people, this is where you're at. You're callous to my word. Your eyes are closed. It's not where he wants them. You look at the next part of the verse, it says, Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. You're never going to understand with your heart until you see with your eyes and hear with your ears. You see who Jesus is. And you hear the word. And you come to understand what Jesus wants to do with your life. You come to perceive your place in the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, he who has ears. You know, that's people that are committed people that are devoted to following Christ, they truly see, they truly hear, they truly understand with their heart. But these others, well, they don't even try. They're not interested in what Jesus wants to do in their lives. Jesus gives an explanation of the parable. He goes into the different types of soil. Read with me verse 13. Then Jesus said, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed sown along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word 
that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Other seed sown on the good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So Jesus reveals that the, pa the parable is referring to people, how people react to the word of God. It becomes real clear that Jesus is talking about the spiritual growth of the believer. He's talking about being able to see with your eyes, being able to hear with your ears so that your heart will be conformed to the Word of God and it will produce something in your life. You know, in this parable, the father is, or the farmer is the Lord. It's not specifically stated, but... You don't have to be a rocket scientist to get that. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom because that is why I was sent. So you get the picture. Jesus is talking about himself, sowing this seed of the Word, the Word of God. And that's what the seed is, the Word of God. Matthew 13, 19, in Matthew's account, says it is the message about the kingdom. In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Luke tells the account, he calls it the Word of God. Here, Matthew just calls it the Word. But it's, it's the Word from God. It's not just the, the law of Moses back in the first five books of the Old Testament. It's not just the whole Old Testament. It is the Old Testament and the New Testament, which will be yet to come in Jesus' day. But it's the fullness of God's Word. In fact, God's Word tells us that Jesus is the Word become flesh. And the New Testament then fleshes out who Jesus was and how we follow Him. So it's the whole of the Bible. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus is the Word of God. He's the living Word. The Bible is the written Word. And together we come to understand the fullness of what God wants for our life. That's what this seed is that He wants to get in us. Then there's the path. And Jesus said, that's the people that are hardened to the Word. You know, you walk on a path, that gets pretty... There might be a little layer of dust on top of it, but the path is pretty hard because of so much packing down from the feet of people walking over. And that's the people that have heard the Word, but they really don't do anything with it. In fact, many of them reject it before they ever hear it. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to uh, you know, about the Bible, and they're so hard to it. You know, you talk about the Bible, and the first thing you say, well, it's just a book written by men. Just a bunch of guys, a bunch of ragtag old fishermen wrote something down, and it's, it's no different than any other book. No. The Bible is the inspired Word of God. Yes, men wrote it down, but God gave them the words to write. Or they'll say something like this, well, it's just full of contradiction. How can you believe any of it? I love it when somebody says that to me because I have a response that I give. It's full of contradiction. Show me one. 
And usually what they say is, well, I, I, I don't know really where they're at, but I hear that it's full of contradictions. And so I will say something like, you mean you've rejected the Word of God and you've never read the Word of God? Most important book in the world? Sells more every year than any other book? And you never read it? Never pondered it? Never thought about it? You see, their hearts. Their hearts are against it. He talks about birds coming and steal the seeds, and he says, that's Satan. And that's what Satan does. He feeds you these lies so that you will reject the Word of God. Your heart will be hard to it before you ever hear it. God doesn't want you to be in that place. Or what about the rocky soil? That's people who don't hold on to the Word. They may hear it. You might even get excited for a little bit. But then something happens. Something in their life happens, and they say, well, if the Word of God was true, that wouldn't happen to me, so it must not be true. So they reject it. They won't let it take root in their lives. It must not be real, so they fall away. You know, Jesus had something to say about that. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth won't come until you hold to Jesus' teaching, until you get that. Well, there's another kind of soil, the third kind. And, of course, that's the thorny soil. Those who put life and wealth and personal desire as priority over the Word. They, they hear, but it's not so much priority. They have worries, and it's not necessarily negative kind of worries, but anything that consumes your time that you worry with or worry about that gets in the way of your relationship with God. Or he talks about wealth, money, stuff, things that get in the way of your relationship with God. Or it talks about personal desires that you have. Sometimes people, you know, their desire is to do something. Well, I don't really need church. Uh, I'm doing fine on my own, so uh, I want to do this or I want to do this. Anything you put ahead of God is what he's talking about. You set those things as priorities over God. And then there's the good soil. This is what we want to be. If we're going to produce a crop, we want to be good soil. Those who truly believe the word. They see Jesus for who he is. They hear the word for what it means. And they accept it talks about there in verse 20 that they accept it as the Word of God. They make Jesus their Lord and Savior. Seed grows in them. They mature. The Spirit of God works in their lives. They begin to produce. They produce spiritual maturity. They produce other Christians because their life, people see them, people want what they've got. They they see how people work. The crop is produced. You know, the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Those Christians that are maturing, they have that fruit of the Spirit, which the Bible says is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People are drawn to that and they're able to talk to people and reach out and touch other people's lives. And so the, the good soil person, the seed takes root in them and 
it begins to mature them spiritually and then they are able to feed into other people and help other people come to know Jesus Christ. That's what Christ is calling us to. It's a discipleship. It's engaging Jesus. It's becoming a disciple who makes disciples. Maybe doesn't do all the discipleship making, but is in part of the process of bringing people to know Jesus Christ. I heard about a man named Lyle Dorsett. And Lyle was a, a young man. He was high school age. And he went to... Uh, his, his family moved from Kansas City, Missouri down to Birmingham, Alabama. Shock, big adjustment, back in the 50s. And Lyle goes to high school, and he got called the dumb Yankee. Uh, I never have seen people from Kansas City, Missouri as being Yankees, but that's what happened to him in Birmingham, Alabama. And when he got to Alabama, you know, he had a hard time fitting in, but he was close to graduation. He got a job, and one day he was walking home from high school uh, from his job, and he decided to take a shortcut, and he went through Howard University, which is Howard College at the time. It's now become um, Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And so uh, he's walking through, and he saw on the football field this huge tent. And he heard some activity going on inside, and he thought, I wonder what that is. And he peeked in through the curtain just as they were ending, and he heard the preacher say something in there his, uh, that uh, his name was, I believe, Alan Martin. He was a famous evangelist back in the 50s, and he said something about come back tomorrow night and hear about the prodigal son. And Lyle thought, I'm the prodigal son. He knew a little bit about the story. And so he went back the, first, the next night and he got there early and sat on the front row and he heard the preacher preach the message about how the prodigal son had left the father and went off into the wilderness. It's talking about leaving God. And, and yet the father waited for him every day and eventually the young man got into trouble and spent all of his money and found out he could come back and the father received him warmly and and Lyle thought, that's me. And he went forward at the end of the service and gave his life to Christ and became a Christian, went home, told his parents they joined the local Baptist church. And for 18 months, all was well, but then they moved back to Kansas City, Missouri, and they quit going to church. And Lyle fell away and started college. Next thing you know, he started with the wrong crowd, and then he was drinking, and before long, he became an alcoholic. He got married and he had a child and he came home drunk one night and his wife said, I don't want you to be around our baby when you're drinking. And he got mad and stormed out of the house and he went to, uh, he went to a local bar and closed it down. Drunk out of his mind, he left and got into his car and went around a curve, ran off the road, down a hill, flipped the car and he woke up in the hospital. The Bible says when he woke up in the hospital, first thing he did was he cried out to God, Lord, if you're there, please help me. And he said as soon as he did that, he felt that same feeling the night he was in that tent and he went forward and gave his life to Christ. It changed his life. He quit drinking. He felt the call to go into the ministry. He became a minister, and to make a long story short, eventually he became the Billy Graham Chair of Evangelism at Beeson Divinity School 
located at the old Howard College at Samford University. You see, at one time, Lyle had been like that soil. He heard the word, but he really didn't do much with it. But God never gave up, and he kept working, and eventually, Lyle became fertile soil and helped countless young people through his career at the university come to know God and the Word of God. He became good soil. And he became one that multiplied in the kingdom. His life multiplied in spiritual maturity. He helped others' lives multiply in spiritual maturity and come to know Jesus. And that's what Christ calls us to do. God wants you, me, and everyone to be good soil. Good soil. No matter what kind of soil you are today, if you'll put those spiritual glasses on, and put those spiritual hearing aids on, and you begin to read the Word of God, and hang out with some people that know the Word of God, and get teaching, especially you get into a small group and learn, God can change the kind of soil you are and help you become all that He wants you to be. You know, the Bible talks about being a disciple who goes and makes disciples. It also calls us the priesthood, that all believers are priests to reach out to other people in the name of God and help them come to know Jesus. Our connection is this. Those who truly apply the word will engage in multiplying the kingdom. From good soil come good people. And good people help change the world. Lives change and they multiply and the kingdom grows. Last Sunday we gave you a copy of our, a full packet of our plan that we're trying to do. There's some available at the Welcome Center. And then we had you come back uh, for a dessert social at night so we could go through the plan in more detail. And at that thing, I called your attention to just about every page in our brochure says something about us praying, about us praying for this plan to work, that we engage Jesus, we engage Bristol, we engage the next generation to help more and more people come to be part of Christ's church. And I told you that night, which we had around 100 people, maybe more, there eating dessert and discussing this plan. And I told you, I said, you know, we need to pray. And so I invited you to put a penny in your shoe one day a week. Hopefully every day of the week would be covered. And somebody put a penny in your shoe, and every time you felt that penny, you would pray. Lord, help Central with the engage. Lord, help me in my part with the engage. Help me know my place in the kingdom. And then I said, or you could put a silver dollar in your pocket. On Tuesday this week, I was sitting in my office, and one of our church members, who will remain nameless, shows up and says, you know, my wife and I were talking, and we heard what you said about putting a penny in your shoe or a silver dollar in your pocket, and we want to give you something. And he said, I want to give you this. My dad left me a bunch of these. And he said, it's pretty valuable, and I want to give you one of them. Don't spend it on a cup of coffee, by the way, which I wouldn't. I cherish it. 
even if it wasn't valued because the church member gave me this to remind me to pray. Because when I pray for this engaged plan, I'm really praying for God's kingdom to grow and for me to grow and you to grow. This is a 1900 Morgan silver dollar. I checked it out on the internet. Chris did when I was telling him this story and he said it was worth $22. I found other places, $39, $37. It's worth a lot more than a dollar. But I carry this in my pocket now every day to remember to pray for Engage. Not because it's such a fabulous plan, which it is, but because it reminds me that when we engage Jesus and we engage Bristol and we engage the next generation, Man, we can't help but multiply. And we can't help but reach other people to bring them to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to be as a church, a people who engage. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your parables. It may be hard to understand, but Lord, that's, that's so... The ones that really want to know will get in there and seek out what you're trying to say. And it'll be revealed. Some of them you reveal. Some of them the Spirit will reveal. Some of them good teachers will reveal. But Lord, if we take that word and, and we dig in on it, we're going to become people who multiply our spiritual growth and we multiply those who come with us to be part of the kingdom. So we thank you for the parables. Give us discernment and understanding. Help us to see with our eyes and hear with our ears so that we can understand with our heart and turn and be healed and help other people be healed spiritually. And we pray today, Father, that you would go with us as we seek to reach this community.